Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get these site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. Uh, hello, my name is Brian. I'm back. The regular nice host, the normal host. Yes. Uh, good to be back. Uh, joining me today, that was, you heard, Adam Vitali. Hello. We have Josh Torres. Oh, man, the, the host is back. Oh, my God. Uh, we have James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Chow Min Wu. How's it going? All right. Uh, before we get started for realsies, I just do want to chime in at the start here and say a big thank you to basically everyone else on this cast, especially Josh and Adam, but everyone here for Josh for hosting, Adam for basically carrying the load in terms of publishing the podcast, doing the stuff that I would normally do when I was absent. Uh, Josh and Adam have also been very busy just keeping up on the on the games that they're previewing and putting up news on the site. And I know James has also been working on the Monster Hunter coverage after the Sunbreak release. And then Chow is also working on stuff behind the scenes. You've heard him on a recent episode about his Live Alive impressions. It's just been, I don't know, I felt like I picked a very, very busy time of year to uh, to step away for a second. And you guys, in your own ways, have all carried the torch in incredible ways. So just thank you so much wow. for... Um, the last three that. weeks have been like sponsored by Square Enix. Thanks, Square Enix. Yeah, like I, <laughs> I saw obviously all the news about Crisis Core Remaster, all the news about uh, Rebirth and the Xenoblade and everything else that came out of the uh, that specific Nintendo Direct. We've got a bunch of game releases in like the next two weeks. Uh, the Stranger of Paradise DLC is next week. There's a lot. Uh, so and now that I come back, this week actually is a little bit of a lull. So this, maybe let's ease me back into it. It'll also be a nice breather for the rest of you guys who have had very busy, very packed podcasts over the last month uh, as we kind of get out of that big summer hump of all the in- announcements for uh, later in the year. Um, I guess I'm still just a bit surprised that we haven't had anything from like a uh, like a Nintendo general direct, but maybe like Xenoblade is kind of their big game for the year. Well, not kind of is their big game for the year, and so, so that's they just put the eggs in that basket kind of like they did back with breath of the wild well, they had the uh they had they basically just had a basically a press release with a new trailer and date for bayonetta so yeah that's kind we of like, did that that's the, so that's their october game it, it's been an interesting thing of how nintendo has done it because they've they, they've uh they basically been piecemealing their information between like the xenoblade direct and the or the direct mini third party that actually had a lot of relevant stuff for us and then obviously the bayonetta 3 news so it's kind of those. It's kind of a weird thing where like it could have been in like a quote unquote main direct, but it would have felt awkwardly placed because if you had like a quote unquote main direct combining these news bits, like a good like twenty five minutes of that quote unquote main direct would be Xenoblade three, and would people be happy for that for a main direct? We saw how that went with like Smash Brothers Ultimate when it was like unveiled back mm-hmm. when they were still participating like during the E three period years ago. So it's kind of I, I kind of am okay with them kind of piecemealing their info like this and i know people want like a main main direct but uh you know i'm just I, i'm kind of a more old-fashioned person it's like it's totally cool that like bayonetta 3 was just a press release and a new trailer people got excited and life went on so during my uh during my break i guess i've just been playing a lot of different things obviously over the next week by the time we meet for next week's podcast we'll be able to maybe talk about uh the stranger of paradise DLC. we'll have live alive yeah yeah live alive We'll be out uh, and then and, and then obviously right after that, well, I guess there's also um the next week the the Octopath mobile game. That's either next week or two weeks, uh, and then of course Digimon and Xenoblade, right, you know, on top of each other. Uh, but for this week, it's uh, 
all of you are still working on the games that you've been already able to talk about on the podcast uh, in previous weeks. It's up to me to talk about what have I been up to for the last uh, the last month. And a lot of it is kind of games that we've covered on the podcast, but I hadn't gotten around to yet. So in no particular order, uh, I did finish Chrono Cross. You know, so I, that is a game that I was looking forward to. And I think I've stated on the podcast a few times that I really wanted to get to it. And I finally did. Obviously, we've had a few podcast episodes back in like the early May time frame where we talked about Chrono Cross a lot. So I'm not going to dive too deeply into it here. The main thing that I want to say about Chrono Cross, like if I had to boil it down to like my top three impressions is that one, the music is just fantastic, like just impeccable. I, I can't put enough superlatives on on that. I had listened to the soundtrack of Chrono Cross before ever playing it. Like it's been in my like library for years. Uh, and so it's really kind of fun to put it into the context of the scenes in the game that play it. I, I also get a soundtrack that goes wrong with uh, Yetsunori Mitsuda. You know, there's a game called Valkyrie Resolution, which is awful, but mm -hmm. the soundtrack still carries the game. Is that the one that Josh played? Uh, I, I played Carrier Revolution. Yeah, I played it. <laughs> oh, you both played it. I wish he didn't like remind me that that game existed. Now I'm just yeah, like, but the composer still saved the game somewhat. I mean, uh, the, uh, yeah, I guess the music was good, but that's pretty much the only thing you can say about it. I don't know if it's saving the game. <laughs> that game is one of the only games where I skipped every single scene. Like every single one, I did not care. I don't know why, but like the cutscenes in the game move like molasses. Like the camera would just slowly pan like millimeters at a time, and like characters would just like talk so slowly with oh. huge breaks between like sentences. I was like, I don't. This is garbage. It's, it's you know, I don't know. Thanks, Shaw, for making me remember. I'm gonna try to forget about it again. But anyways, uh, Chrono Cross has great music. Yeah. Uh, also, <laughs> so like I. Going into Chrono Cross, Adam had played it a couple times and had played it pretty much right when it launched with the remaster um, in April. And he kind of had Adam is a fountain of knowledge in terms of like where all the characters are and all the things you can do or, or knows at least where to find all that information. Obviously, lots of websites have kind of guided the game up and down. I kind of went into the game with the mindset. All right, I'm just going to play it organically so to speak and get what i get and find the characters that i like and just play it that way uh which was i can't in a, in a lot of ways i was kind of like relieving that i didn't want sometimes i feel too like completionist i'm like no what if i miss something so it's kind of nice to put that aside right from the get-go i will say that if i was like i don't know 12 to 14 years old and i had like a summer to play chrono cross and no responsibilities and it was like the one game i have had uh i could see myself playing that game basically like over and over again to to see all the different ways that things can turn out or how the different outcomes can change based on obviously that game is kind of designed to play played like that anyways with the way the different endings work just like in chrono trigger but almost to a greater extent with the way the character recruitment works and things like that but i just played through it once i got an ending um i did look up how to get like the true ending or whatever just so i could kind of see it for my one time through um the the the, the other ending is kind of funny because like you literally just beat the final boss and there's like nothing no not even like a two second scene you just beat the boss and then credits like nothing huh. oh, there's, there's, there's something kind of uh quaint and like classic about that though like you beat the game what do you want <laughs> game over uh, that's kind of a i think that'll be enough on chrono cross since we've kind of covered that game a lot i really like it um i don't know if i'll be singing its praises a ton for like remaster of the year but it kind of depends on what its competition is i haven't really thought about it but uh we'll see at the end of the year what what it's up against in kind of that category um, I, I am not 100% done with it, but I've made a lot of progress in Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. 
Uh, I know that both Josh and James were able to talk about this game significantly uh, as it released in late June, um, talking about the the end game mechanics and the um, the afflicted monsters and all that stuff. My main takeaway with Sunbreak right now is oddly very similar to the Chrono Cross one. Uh, I really think like normally for Monster Hunter music, there's like a few tracks that I think are very evocative or very nostalgic or just a certain track that uh, stands out over the rest. But in Monster Hunter, uh, Sunbreak, I've been like impressed every single time I fight a, a later game. Like, I don't know if they're specific to the monsters because early in early in Monster Hunter Rise, it's like specific to the region you're in, but then they start adjusting it where it's specific, more specific to the monster you're fighting. Uh, I believe it was either Sergios or Espinus had like this almost like horror themed, like very like percussion heavy soundtrack which i thought like this is different but it fits the fight a lot um and then i fought a rajang that had like a very like almost like tribal chanty sort of uh soundtrack like wow this is neat i fought the malzeno obviously the flagship dragon had it had a unique uh track back backing track behind it and i was like wow like i normally don't pay this much attention to monster hunter music but in this game i was um i haven't really got hmm? yeah how far are you in it like what master rank and stuff like you know, uh, what have you been fighting? I I I just defeated Malzano, and okay. so anyone who's played any Monster Hunter game that it's a flagship monster, but at least well, I I don't want I I don't I always want to be careful like speaking as if I'm an authority on Monster Hunter when I'm in the company of James and Josh, uh, so I'm not. But I had gotten used to at least in World where you have the flagship monster, but then there's always like the threat behind that that you end up fighting, uh, whether it's um weird zombie wind dragon at the end of iceborne i don't remember uh Kishala? yeah Charisvalda. shara Ishvalda. yeah like Charisvalda behind oh, Valkana. Yeah. and so like melzeno isn't spoiler the final boss of sunbreak i won't i don't i don't actually know who the final dragon monster is so i can't even spoil that uh but i i'm between that so i basically have been like formally introduced to the afflicted mechanic in a way by fighting uh melzeno um, well, I'm good try- news, Brian. Your assumption that pretty much every Monster Hunter like is like that is uh, well-founded because pretty much every Monster Hunter <laughs> is indeed like that. Yeah, uh, I'm not surprised. And I'm, I think that actually works pretty well to, uh, I don't know, it, it kind of allows this, the a nice framework for the story there. Because you, what uh, think- weapon have you have you been using in Sunbreak? I've been uh, sticking with. Uh, so yeah. uh, I've been I've been using the Nargakuga Switch Axe, which is a high affinity poison one, uh, and I had I'd find I'd kind of found a build for the base game that I have not been very clever with Master Rank. I've just been pretty much upgrading my gear with the Master Rank version of the same gear, uh, mm-hmm. except for the uh, like I had like I had like some Valstrax equipment from normal rank or high rank that i haven't fought yet in master rank uh so i had to like kind of shift a few things around but basically just trying to do a high affinity poison build uh have you just been not doing like your tried and true play style or have you like messed around with like the switch skill swap or any of the new switch attacks i tried using the switch skills swapping stuff but the thing is is i just don't find a lot of use for it because i'm like i like these switch skills i want these on my bar i don't want to i don't get a lot of use of switching between them like the switchblade uh has a it's called uh, it's called what's it called it's called like fearless assault or whatever it's a it's a charge forward that it has like super armor or whatever you want to call it, where you don't get knocked. You still take damage, but you don't get knocked. You, you can do it through roars uh, and things like that. And that's super useful. Um, in t- and it kind of has a lot. It gives you a lot of movement, too, that you can do on the fly, uh, even if your weapon is unsheathed. So it's been like 
this is like I use this ability all the time and it uses a wire bug. And now that you're not using wire bugs to run up walls as much, I feel like it's easier to get that third wire bug uh, on your bar. So I've been using that a ton. Like I could switch off of this, but I don't think I need to. So I haven't really like experimented much, mainly because I guess I'm comfortable with what I'm using. Um, I mean, that, that's totally valid. And, you know, the, I, I, I know a lot of people have done that. It's like, you know, like that I, I like I like being comfortable with what I'm like used to. Yeah, I have sorry. been doing almost all of my progression through the uh, the join feature. Or basically, you just uh, do the join request, not 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 creating a join request for a mission. I'm kickstarting or kickstarting, kicking up, but finding another one, and and it almost feels like it's really cheap in a way, or it's like it's it's kind of like susceptible to being abused. Because there's been a couple times where I join a fight and it ends in like ten seconds because I join right at the end. Like, oh, <laughs> that wasn't my intent, but I'll, yeah. I guess I'll take it. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll take it. You know, easy match. Yeah, so I, I guess like uh, there there is no um I, I don't say there is no there's some things that I thought were inherent. So I've only played World and Rise, and like whereas World has like the flare mechanic. Is it called flare? Where yeah. once you once you see the monster, you can then request assistance. But it doesn't quite work the same in Rise. I'm like, oh, is that was that World specific or is Rise a change up of the formula? I guess I don't really know for certain because in Rise it works a bit differently. I've been basically doing that and doing all my fights in multiplayer. And it's been really fun just to see like, uh, like, oh, wow, a sword and shield player. That's like a, I don't know, like a rare, a rare find. Uh, oh, another longsword player. That was me in world. Like, I, I don't blame you. Longsword's fun. Uh, lots of great swords, uh, a few charge blades, um, and then a lot of hunting horns. So I'm seeing a lot more hunting horns in Rise and Sunbreak than I ever did in world. And they're, they're like a godsend. I feel like they're like the cleric of Monster Hunter. Like, oh, God, thank God we have a hunting horn player and they're good. Oh, yeah. Support <laughs> hunting horn players are a blessing. They, right. they, they make fights so much easier. Yeah. So when I was fighting Melzano, which you had mentioned, um, introduces the afflicted mechanic where you have to fight the, uh, the clusters and if you get the uh, affliction on you you're incentivized to keep attacking and stay on the offensive which i think is pretty cool uh but also like i had a hunting horn player with me that whole fight basically keeping all our health topped off the entire time like oh this is easy like i can be i can play like shit and still have a great time uh so i've been enjoying sunbreak a lot i've not, i've been not quite doing it uh as exhaustively as I had with World. With World, I was basically no-lifing it. I was doing every single quest. I was trying to um, follow up all of the... Uh, as they added monsters to the game, I was there day one, like seeing all the new gear or whatever. Sunbreak, I'm being like, all right, I had my fill with World. I'm still enjoying Sunbreak, but I'm playing it a little bit more casually and kind of not quite mainlining it. If I see, like, uh, I had to fight a few um, Alumatron, the muddy, mud, muddy boy, to to get uh, some of his gear for the for the for the morphing skill. Uh, so I, so I've been doing a few like extra fights, but mostly just kind of doing like the main line through the game, and it's still been a great time. And uh, I'm hoping to finish it by this weekend so that I'm basically ready for the deluge of late July games. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's cool. Like I I was uh, trying to ask earlier, like the the comparing like your experience or like the base rise game, like going from low rank to high rank. And then now with some breakthrough master rank, have you been uh, enjoying it more like going through like uh, master rank compared to the base game or do you like you still feel like, you know, it's it's more of the same, but that's cool. Uh, I feel like the the jump, it could be experience. It could be uh the game itself, I feel like the jump from high to master rank in Sunbreak wasn't quite as stark or as difficult or as noticeable as it was in uh, Iceborne. 
Mm-hmm. It felt it felt like a little bit more gradual. Like it, like monsters don't feel like they take as long to kill. Um, I feel like the the decorations that you can make and the gear. Like I'm surprised sometimes the amount of skills that are slotted to this gear. Like wait, I get all three of these plus a decoration <laughs> slot. Just just stuff like that where it feels like there's tons of options. Where before I felt like an Iceborne. Um, I had to be like, all right, I can either focus on like damaging abilities, affinity abilities, critical abilities, or get my health and defense up. There's really, you can't hybridize much. Uh, where in this game, I feel like I have tons of extra slots and I don't know what to do with it. I guess I'll give myself speed sharpening or stuff like that. Like, I feel like I have a lot more options and choices where I can be like, I've already got my master's touch gems. I've got a, enough attack boosts to get myself the percentage boost. I've got like the weakness exploits. Plus, now I have slots for just health boosts or things like that. And then some of the decorations I just recently unlocked, maybe not endgame decorations, but the, the tier right before that, like the four slot decorations. And it's like, this gets you level three critical evade or, or something like that, like from a single decoration. Yeah, it's a four slot, so you have to find something to put it in. But I'm just, it feels like there's just like an escalation of abilities in Sunbreak where I'm like, wow, I can't imagine like what endgame builds look like. They just have like probably like, half the skills in the game or something. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure like once you get to the end game tier and I actually get into like the afflicted monster fights that you're going to want to have, make sure that those are all slotted in to the appropriate places and you have a good build that synergizes across all of those abilities. But as I'm just progressing through Sunbreak, I almost feel like spoiled for choice in a way, which is, which is a good yeah, feeling. I, 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 yeah, that's a good feeling. I, th- I think people get too hung up on like trying to like optimize every single deco slot and having to because like at the end of the day like i feel like when you're optimizing for monster hunter it's it's more so because you want to like make like speed run the hunt and go for like super low like you know times for mm-hmm. hunts but like and unless so it's not it's not about like oh i need these to survive the fights like i just want the fight to go faster and that's not necessarily like you know a bad thing but it like i think there's enough like options and build options in in sunbreak and other monster hunter games really but in sunbreak specifically here where you can just customize and have fun and play the way that you want to so like if you want to go for an element you know build for this like you know it's okay to go for that and like try to like build multiple elements to exploit the element weakness of a monster and less so than like oh it always has to be affinity always raw damage because i just want to get like super low fast sides like you, you don't have to do that you can just experiment and you know have fun the way that you want well i remember when uh is it almutron not almutron Alatron. What was the elemental dragon that they added to Ice uh, Born near the end? I think that was Alatrion. Alatrion. Yeah. Okay. Well, some of these names are kind of similar. So I remember when Alatrion was added to uh, Iceborne, The way you fight that is to do like an elemental build. That's, I mean, I forget the exact mechanics for why he's more susceptible to that. And I remember people were like upset, like I have to upend my uh, my master's touch. Uh, Teostra armor build that I've been carrying since like Iceborne launched to actually mm-hmm. fight this. How dare they? I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it was a bit silly, and I thought it was like kind of fun to have to change my build there. And uh, this isn't really a this really isn't a Sunbreak note because it was in the base game as well. But the fact that you can just craft decorations is a godsend. The and the fact mm-hmm. that the RNG is mostly uh or entirely just limited to the amulet is. I like I remember doing some of those event quests in Iceborne so many times where you fought like the giant Jagras or the giant uh uh lava fish to try to get your 
decoration rolls to finally get your attack boost or your weakness or whatever or handicraft or what you know those rare decorations the fact that you can now just kind of craft it still a little bit of r&d you got to get the materials to craft it but i don't know it feels like it it, it synergizes well with the with the um being able to build how you want like oh okay if i want to try a, an element build or a poison build or whatever let me just see what decorations i can craft to help me there because i'm spoiled for choice for slots and where to put these so yeah it feels like there's just a lot of uh open-endedness in terms of not being being able to change out gear or armor or decorations uh, a lot more with a lot less of a hurdle to jump over than it was in um world and iceborne yeah uh, i mean that's cool that's cool that you're having a really really great time with it i'm glad to hear that and even though even though i say that i'm like mainlining it i still have like 60 hours in the game i i saw that you and you <laughs> i saw that you and yeah yeah i saw that you and uh james were well over the 100 hour mark so i probably won't get there but i like even even if you're not being exhaustive there's just there's a lot of game there and it's obviously kind of cool to, to have that the other game that i've played that i know that we've talked about the pot on the podcast a, uh, a few times in a few different contexts is an indie game that came out in early june uh, it has a terrible name, unfortunately. It's called Symphony of War, the Nephilim Saga. We've talked about this a couple times, mainly around the uh, the premise that Scott, uh, contributor to the site, previewed it from his time at PAX East in, in March or April. Uh, so this is a a game that's clearly built in the, uh, the framework of pre-Awakening Fire Emblem. So we've talked in the past about how there's so many indie games that are built in the like the Final Fantasy Tactics um, framework. Well, this is basically an indie game built in the uh, GBA SNES era Fire Emblem framework. It has an overwhelmingly positive uh, rating on Steam. I always try to at least get a few games uh, from indie developers in the conversation for RPG site, like I've talked uh, on the podcast and in end of the year discussions about games like Fate Tactics and Bug Fables and um, Fell Seal. I, I like to try to give them their due. So I'm like, all right, maybe Symphony of War will be a game, especially since it's so highly regarded, uh, to be in that conversation this year. The way that I'm kind of preambling this, you can kind of see potentially where I'm going with this. I do yeah. think the game is good. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I'll try to be an optimist and talk about the things that I like about it first um so it is a a fire emblem like you have a selection of units that you play like from an isometric perspective like on a grid uh of different classes and the classes will tear up two or three times um there are some it, it is like fire emblem sacred stones where you can have a class fork into multiple different ones but however it is more like advanced wars where each unit actually is a union of up to nine units so you'll have your main character who's named devoa who is a kind of a, a lord, basically, a Fire Emblem lord. But then you also assign him soldiers that can fill out his union, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and they can, th those can be like mages, archers, riflemen, uh, armored units, things like that. And the game is very mechanically sound in terms of the design around this feature. So the main, that's the main, if there is a like, a non-story selling point of this game it's the way that the units work and their unions in in a fire emblem like context because imagine a three by three grid you can put your main unit the leader of the union anywhere in this grid um and then you have to surround him with supporting units so some of the some of this is works in kind of obvious ways where if you put an armor unit in front they will cover the units behind them if you put archer units in back they can still do full damage uh, there's a couple interesting twists where, for instance, if you have like assassins or rogues 
They can ambush enemy units. So when they attack an enemy unit, they actually hit the enemies in the back row instead of the front. So that way you can kind of, you can kind of, if, if you're fighting an enemy unit that has armored units in front, you can give, you can attack them with, uh, a squad that's full of skirmishers to kind of get through that more easily. There are magic units, uh, magic units, like, uh, I hope I get this right. Like fire mages will attack in rows. So basically they will attack a row of the, of the three by three grid front to back. And, uh, the lightning mages will attack in a column. So they kind of, one does horizontal and one does vertical. Uh Uh, And then, uh, there are other units that have like a, like a like a wide sword where they swing in an arc where they can hit like units side to side so there is this is like there's a ton of different like micro if you like to micromanage this game is kind of really perfect for that because there are any kind, units that uh can, can like push or units like backwards or forwards can like can control their positioning no the positioning okay. is fixed um but yeah, there are there's a lot of ways to kind of manipulate how you damage units in the other group okay uh and then there's there's like some not all units are the same size like if, if you've got a dragon unit they take up more you can't you can't fill a union a union union with nine dragons you can only have three sort of thing so uh, uh and things like that um and this is basically the the most enjoyable part of the game is basically micromanaging uh, by the end of the game, you have you can have a, an army that's including your leader units and all their supporting units, like uh, of a hundred units or more strong. I think there's an achievement for getting up to like one fifty or two hundred. So that would be like. Oh, have max. you have you beaten this game or like or like? Yes, yes, I've, be I've, I've beaten it. I, I'm interested. Like, how long did it take? Uh, let me check my uh, Steam playtime. It was like uh, forty or fifty hours. It was, but not some bad. of that. Some of that might be uh, idle time. I have a bad habit of uh, leaving games on when I fall asleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I have 53 hours. Assuming idle okay. time, I'm going to say 35 hours. So it's long. Okay. Um, or it's a good length. Uh, so that, though, that's the uh, those the combat mechanics, the squad building mechanics, the army mechanics is the, the best part of the game. Parts of the game that are fine is the artwork, I think, is uh, kind of interesting. It's built in RPG Maker, so it has that very kind of mobile-y version of Final Fantasy 4 through 6 look sometimes, which isn't great. But when you're playing, that's like for the story scenes and the dialogue. When you're playing like the actual battles and maps, it looks more like a uh, like a high-definition 16-bit game, which is, I think, actually uh, pretty clean-looking and pretty good. But it's just that the two art styles juxtaposed like that is a little bit incongruent. Going from the, about the portraits, I thought the uh, portraits were fine. Uh, they're they're I, I guess they're, didn't like them. He thought they're, they were they're, too like realistic. They're a little bit of an acquired taste. Uh, so, like in Fire Emblem, it's basically a portrait with the dialogue like uh, under with underneath it in a text box with characters facing. Like I think it's two characters on the left, two characters on the right, uh, sort of thing. Um, it almost feels like think, there's yeah. two zooms. I think Scott in. also mentioned. I think Scott also mentioned it does the uh, the faux pas where there's a character with an eye patch, but the eye patch will flip eyes depending on what uh, side I, the character is on. I didn't catch <laughs> they that. They just mirror it. <laughs> That's funny. Um, there there are a couple interesting things that like I wish I knew going in. So I like micromanaging, or at least like in spurts. So early on in the game, I was like, uh, uh, you can get generic units. Uh, and then obviously the game gives you like 
a, a selection of story characters. The thing is, is that it gives you a lot of story characters, which is good and bad in a lot of ways. It's good because it kind of gives you characters of a lot of different classes and gives you opportunities to see, like, how does this class work? How does this class work? Um, but early on in the game, I hired a bunch of units. like units. So you have, like, a, a recruiting table that's semi-randomized, and units have uh, both stats, obviously, and then, like, traits. Uh, like, they might have a trait that says that they take less damage when they're on defense or, or whatever. Um, so they might be better for like a, an anchoring a fort or whatever. Uh, but then you start getting so many like story characters that I'm like, all right, I, I don't want to box these story characters out because sometimes they're required. So I ended up leaving my generic units on the bench. Basically, you can get through this game and have tons. You never need to recruit a single. You don't need to. They get, the game throws so many units at you. That you never need to recruit a single character, which sounds like that's good, that's convenient, but it kind of makes like the whole recruitment process where you have even like the selection of units from the armory or whatever from, from the mercenary list kind of pointless in a way. Like I almost wish the game gave you fewer units so that you had to engage with that system a little more. Uh, okay. What else? Yeah, I, I wonder yeah. if there's like I wonder if there's like interesting like challenge runs where people try to get through the game without using any of like the story units and can only just go with generic recruitment people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the generic- challenges like that in other Fire Emblem games, where you know I'm only going to use mages, or I'm only going to use you know people on horseback or whatever. Uh, that those are always fun to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the 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 trait system is kind of interesting because you get like scrolls that allow you to teach traits to units, but then also they can have inherent traits. Uh, there there is a resource that you have to manage called like leadership. Where basically the the higher a leadership, I, I hope I get the, I, I hope I get how this works right because it's actually a little bit complicated. I believe the higher leadership a unit has, the more capacity they have because you can't just immediately put nine units in a union. You, you have to you work against like a like a cap that you work that you uh, you can't go over uh, like a capacity. and it's determined by the leadership of all the units in the union. so certain 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 you characters are more suited for being leaders of a union than others typically your story units there's actually some mercenaries that say like this mercenary has higher stats but they will cost more in, in unless they are the leader sort of thing so there's there's a, there's a lot of interesting um kind of resource management there and then there are uh resources that you, you might be on a uh so all the map objectives are typically pretty uh how do i word this the very the very classic fire emblem map objective is to seize the fort right and some games are better at this than others uh in terms of the variety of the objective from battle to battle uh this game's somewhere in the middle it's you have some maps where you have to like have all your units reach a certain area that's guarded by uh 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 an enemy platoon they have to get around. There's some that it's just you got to seize these three forts. There's some where you have to like get across a river, uh, but it's not. A lot of times it is kind of seizing the fort on the other side of the map, and you just kind of push there and get it. So the variety is not great, but it's not the worst that I've seen in these types of games. So it's fine. Where this game really falters, I think, is the story. The story is just kind of awful. I think it's um, it's awful in in a couple of ways. One, it is it's the sort of game where they feel having more story beats makes it a better story. 
it it goes at lightning speed based and like it doesn't ever take time to like dwell on anything of consequence it just goes 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 in a sense where it just feels like nothing matters just because everything just goes forward uh for instance that might be like a weird way to word it but for instance this this the the world in this uh in this game has three continents um, one of them is a desert continent called Sayuna, which has like a lot of like horseback archers and things like that. Kind of like a very nomadic people, kind of like Mon- Mongol inspirations, things like that. You get a character in your party early on named Jules, who is from this place. And that's kind of all you know about him. He's like, oh, he's from Sayuna. He's an archer. He's one of my units, whatever. Then like 20 chapters later, this person doesn't have a major role in the story. Uh, you go there and then the game is like, surprise, this character is actually the... Uh, the long lost son of the of the former king, your your royalty, and just kind of like throws at you, like, oh, this guy's the king of this place now, and then it never touches on it again. So that's kind of what I mean by that, where it just like throws in the story, be like, by the way, this character's king. Okay, uh, was that was that a cool story? Be I hope you like that because we're not going to bring that up again. It's not really going to matter. Um, and this game is going to be brought up at the next Symphony of War game that the developer is working on right now. Yeah, and the uh, the other part about the story that i don't really like is that it is incredibly black and white there is basically a good church and a bad church the bad church are cultists that worship an evil god who is evil and you got to beat him and that's there is no nuance not even like a little bit that's better that's better than some rpgs where the the entire church is just evil at least this one this has a good church and a bad church yeah um right evil well i mean like technically if you think about JoJo, I mean, there's some people who are that pure evil, like Dio, and I don't know. I, I'm okay with that. It doesn't always have to be a gray villain all the time. Yeah, well, it's it's not. It's yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. Like, the, it's always kind of nice to have villains that are like. Not every villain has to be sympathetic in some way to be like good. Sometimes you have uh, just your your evil asshole. Like I'm thinking like Metal Face in Xenoblade One, who's just evil just because he's a dick of a person and that's kind of fine like that can be written in a compelling way but this isn't that because it's like an evil god that an evil cult worships because they're evil um and they even like even in fire emblem games with very basic stories like fire emblem gba uh, the seventh game with lynn elliwood and hector like even that game which is a very straightforward plot has a little bit of nuance with like the four fangs and how they interface with Nurgle, like they're being manipulated by him. They're not good people, but they're being, you know, used for the the as a means to an ends from the true antagonist. This game doesn't even have like that. It's just these cultists take over the country and you gotta take it back. And it does this by just throwing plot beat after plot beat uh in rapid succession and where nothing feels like it really matters. Luckily, I'm the sort of person where whether or not the story of a game is good or not only minorly affects whether or not I enjoy the game. So even though I'm like, wow, the story is a disappointment, it doesn't make me dislike the game because I thought the way the game plays and uh, how the way all the systems work was interesting and smart and well implemented and good. It's just that, wow, I can't believe they dropped the ball on this because it feels like, I don't know. They could have made a they could have made a few uh, tweaks, almost like less is more. Where you could have taken some of the story beats out and just let it go a bit slower or dwelled a little bit longer on some of the story beats you did have in there, and I think it would have been a better game for it. Uh, it also like uh, the 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 characters, almost all the characters who have portraits are protagonists, where antagonists are almost like faceless for the most part. They're just like faceless cultists with a name. 
So it almost feels like you don't have an idea of like who you're fighting or why. Just like, oh, the general, like like in Fire Emblem games, normally whoever is the general at the fort that you're capturing has a portrait and has been introduced at least for that chapter. And you kind of know who you're fighting and why. Where in this game, it's almost always just like a nameless, oh, this guy is uh, this class. This guy is an armored class, but he has higher stats. Uh, I don't know his name. It doesn't matter. He's dead now. I took the fort. So like I felt like they could have had a little bit like if even if they had like more recurring antagonists that isn't just an evil god that's evil that you got to beat that could have helped the the story along um but that i guess so I, I guess that's my uh my comprehensive thoughts on symphony of war from like good to bad is in the way i introduce those uh those concepts is it gonna be like all those other games that i mentioned earlier when i was introducing this game bug fables uh, fell seal and um fate tactics are indie tactical games well, I guess Bug Fables is on a tactical game. So those are those are games I enjoyed more, and I was hoping that that would occupy that kind of space in my mind for this year, for this game. But unfortunately, it doesn't quite. It's it's decent. It's good. I think I'm I'm glad I played it. It just doesn't quite reach the same heights, and I'm not really going to be arguing for it to to get a ton of like uh, look in at end of the year stuff uh, when I was hoping that it might be. So I guess I guess I'm a little bit disappointed, but still walking away thinking that I'm glad I played it. So this kind of falls in kind of like that. Uh, that sort of territory range for me. That's cool. I mean, I, I think uh, thanks for the insight because I really didn't know what to expect from this game. Like, I have it in my Steam library, and I do intend to play it at some point when I do get some free time. But yeah, that's uh, at least you know. But when I watched like you know trailers for it, the thing that did stick out to me is like the micromanaging uh, your units and like uh, like mm-hmm. basically building up your squads, and that's the thing that really spoke to me the most along with like any of like the auxiliary systems of like enhancing your units and like bonuses and passives and all and all that but uh it, it's good to know that at least in that aspect like you know it, it that is the that is the a shining part of it yeah and uh to leave this on a more on a more positive note that is clearly like the most well realized part of the game and it's I think it's really clever. I think there's not quite like even like even Advance Wars has kind of the same sort of idea in terms of like each unit on the map represents a squad. But this game kind of does it in a way where you have a little bit more control over it and has a lot of interesting interplay between like how magic and armor and weapons work. And oh, there's also one other thing I didn't mention is that um, what, what sort of units you put in a union or in a squad determines what sort of squad it is. Like if you put in, if you make sure that your squad is only like light armored units, your squad is only like archers or skirmishers or assassins, that squad ends up being called, being called a light infantry squad, which uh, makes them more mobile in like marshes or in rough terrain. If you, okay, if cool. you, if you give them armored units, they just become generic infantry. So they don't have any bonuses or penalties. If, obviously if you make them uh mounted units uh then they have some additional movement and some additional capabilities for being a mounted squad uh so there are incentives to make it more specialized uh, rather than just like try to be a jack of all trades yeah and then some of the some of the traits for some of the leader units might say like uh for this leader unit who is a cavalier on horseback any other cavaliers on horseback that use melee weapons that go in his squad cost fewer resources so like certain leaders will incentivize comprising your squad in very specific ways so yeah long story short if you like the micromanage uh if you like to deal with like 
fitting pieces together and trying to get use your limited resources to fit your squad perfectly. Uh, this is the sort of game where I spent a lot of time in menus, just like shifting things around and tinkering, and it's and uh, f- finding that that strategy plays off uh, pays off once you're actually in a combat encounter is is a good feeling. So the game is well made on that front. As an RPG, it's it's good. Uh, just with a few caveats that I'd already mentioned in terms of disappointing story and uh, things like that. And that's pretty much been my week. So I, I finished Symphony of War. I finished Chrono Cross. I think I'm going to finish uh, Sunbreak. Um, if not today, then by tomorrow. And then unlike most of you, having uh, preview access to either Live Alive or Xenoblade, I haven't, so I'm probably going to grab the uh, the live alive demo because it has the carryover right uh, into the yeah. into the main game. So I'll probably uh, probably grab that because I want to try to get through live alive because it has like the weak head start and everything else uh, before um, Xenoblade drops. Which, from all previews that I'm hearing, is a massive massive game, which is no surprise for anyone who's played any of those Xenoblade games. So uh, I want to try to make sure my plate is clear by the time that. Uh, that launches at the end. Yeah, of the month. luckily, you know, Live Alive isn't that long of a game, so I, I, I imagine you'll you can you can knock it out before Xenoblade for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, th- thanks for allowing me the time to just give you the the start of this podcast here. Like, what is Brian up to? But uh, <laughs> some th- yeah, the three games that have all uh, launched in the last few months. So giving them all a look in here from my perspective, hopefully giving some honest opinions on how I felt about all three of them. Uh, yeah, so now you're all caught up. Cool. The, the Brian catch-up. You're getting games done. Like you're just uh, finishing them left and right, mm. which is good because I'm not always I'm not always great at, at doing that. It, it helps by the by the end of the year. It's like, did you finish this game? And and you're talking about it. Well, know? yeah, that, that that's the one thing is that uh, I I am like kind of motivated to finish mm-hmm. games in the mindset of I want to be able to have my have my say, have a look in when because it's. Whenever we put in our, our our listing together at the end of the year, there it's it's more art than science because not everyone plays everything, and then you have games that only one person's played or games that everyone's played. And I try to want to make sure that I cover as much as possible so that I am as fair as possible when allowing you know when trying to put that thing together. It's tough. It's tough uh, being in that position. It's like no one else has played this except me. How do I do this? And then I always it's play sick. games like Wild West or Weird West, sorry, where, where it's like, all right, I think I'm the only one that's played this, but I'm probably not going to vouch for it because it was merely okay. One of these days, well, one of these days I'll play uh, something that I will feel as strongly about as you have on some of your solo endeavors <laughs> and be like, this is how Josh feels when he has to hold the, the, hold the mantle for this singular game. <laughs> all right, before we go into the uh, news section for this week which is a little bit lighter. Uh, does anyone else have any other games that they've played in the last week that they A, want to talk about and B, are allowed to talk about? I wish I could, but I've been I've been eyeing this little Noah game that I want to like get to, but because of what I'm working on. Oh, I, I did also... play a little bit of that. Okay, really? <laughs> Tell me a little bit about it. Um, I just kind of picked it up uh, yesterday because um, friend of the site... Uh, Sean Musgrave was kind of raving about it on Twitter. So I was like, oh, it's 15 bucks. I'll give it a shot. I like uh, roguelikes. Um, first off, it runs perfectly on Steam Deck, like absolutely zero issues. Um, oh. It's uh, it, it's nice because like the one thing with the Steam Deck that I'm kind like, it's not bad, but it definitely could be better is like the D-pad. But little Noah, even though it's like a 2D side scrolling like roguelike, 
it has analog movement and you're going to want to use the analog stick anyways. So uh, but yeah, before, before you, before you continue on that, I messed uh, with the steam deck for the first time yesterday and it's desktop mode. And Oh my God, it took me a long while to figure out how to navigate desktop mode. Cause you, you can't really use any of the analog sticks to move the cursor around or the buttons to like accessing everything is like done with like the right trackpad and like, well, do a, and to do a left click, it's like to press in that. So like, it's easy to like, kind of like, slide like your finger as you're pressing it in so like you'll miss what you're trying to click on that what and you also should do is um if you open up steam in desktop mode you can actually set a desktop configuration for the layout and it you can set it so that the left trigger and right trigger are left and right click i, I need to mess with that because like the, like the de- like the, just the default experience because i didn't know you can do that until now uh the default experience is kind I, of very I want to say by default it does that because no. it's based off the uh, Steam controller default config, which has I, um, I, the my... right trackpad for regular trackpad stuff. And then the left trackpad, you can kind of scroll with it if you do like a clockwise or anti-clockwise or well, counterclockwise, like kind of rotation. The, on my the... vanilla experience with, with this when I just like, you know, when I better set up Steam Deck for the first time and it did its updates, you know, when I when I got it like a few weeks ago. And I mess up desktop mode for the first time, not, not touching anything else and not knowing about that feature. This was my experience. So, and I tried, and I tried, you know, moving with the analog sticks and pressing things with the buttons, and it didn't do anything. It only responds to the right trackpad alone. And I guess the right, the right, the quote unquote right click is uh, clicking in the left trackpad. And like that was jank. And like, and then it comes equipped with like a, the, the Firefox browser in its desktop mode. So like okay, let, let, let's try let's try this out. And then when you click like a text box field in it, like the on-screen keyboard will not appear. You have to manually press the Steam button and X at the same time to like bring the on-screen keyboard up to like start typing stuff. And that and then when the on-screen keyboard is uh, uh, up, that's when you're allowed to use like the D-pad and like the face buttons to like uh, type in stuff, or you can use the touch uh, the touch screen as well for that. But if there's like anything on the screen that like they say they have to get you know, the bookmarks tab down, like the 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 keyboard uh, screen will not overlay it. Like sometimes it'll be behind it, and like that's just like a fact of life that you have to deal with. Just like just typing with like half of it being covered by like say the bookmarks list. So, yeah, like I do know that the keyboard is somewhat intelligent in the sense that it'll try to like it'll be either on the top or the bottom of the screen depending on what the system thinks will block less text but obviously that that only helps some of the times other times it just doesn't do anything to help Uh, it's just it's just one of those like observations like i hope they really um refine this experience of desktop mode because i think it's really cool that it has a desktop mode but I hope they really, like, I don't know what Valve's plans are and what their priorities are with this. But, like, I just really hope they eventually, you know, make that experience in desktop mode much, 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 much smoother. Or at least more apparent and, like, and like have, and make it default that, like, you should be able to use the mouse cursor with the analog sticks. Instead of, like, going to a menu that I didn't know about until now of, like, setting it to be like that. Like, I think just, make, just making it more, like, intuitive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that and I don't want to be that Linux guy that says, oh, it, it just just use a terminal or stuff like that. I when it comes to 
the mouse, I think the only real issue with using the trackpad is having to click in with it. If you have it, if you have the mouse uh, clicks assigned to the triggers, I, I just honestly don't know why would why someone would want to use the analog stick instead. I mean, I I I, I like you know. It's just more options, right? Like some people prefer oh, trackpad, some people would uh, prefer uh, navigating with an analog stick. Like yeah. that's just, that, that's, just, that's just more options and not necessarily a bad a bad thing. It's not an either or. It could be both, and that's okay. Yeah. Anyway, go on about little Nova. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it it runs fine. Um, I guess I should talk about the game itself. Uh, one of the core conceits of it is that you don't have weapons instead your attacks are based off of these uh, champions that you basically use alchemy to gain under your control because um noah the main character is something called a soul chemist yeah, yeah. grand blue i'm assuming that's something that's a grand blue thing because i, I don't know but oh. before yeah before before you go on like the just to be clear to everyone little noah is the it, it was like shadow dropped after the nintendo direct mini that came out recently and this is like uh de- developed and published by Psygames. games this is like kind of the successor to like an old Psygames games mobile game that uh, went out of service um many years ago and that that old mobile game was like a Clash of Clans clone almost, or like that was the framework of it. While this one is just a, a brand new game straight up. Like it's like a 2D roguelite action RPG that you're talking about here. Yeah. So, so anyways, yeah. um, you get these champions and they have uh, different attacks. And you also have a bit of a wrinkle where you have your regular attack combo on the X button and then on your Y and B button you can also slot champions in there for an a different attack. That okay. um so every champion has like a standard attack for a chain and then that like cooldown attack. And at any time you can just swap out which champions you have on which button and the order of their attacks on the regular attack combo. And it's interesting because obviously different champions have different attacks. Some of them will have like an uppercut uh, type deal that'll like kind of bring you up, um, like elevate you. Um, there might be some that are just standard melee attacks or just like, okay, it's a, like a sword slash or like an axe swing or something like that. And then some of them will be more like magic base or some of them might um have additional attributes like you'll have some champions that have an elemental attribute to them and so their attacks have a chance to give an ailment to an enemy like it might freeze them it might um burn them etc etc and then as you're going through these um randomly generated dungeons or well levels i say dungeons it's basically just levels uh you'll find stuff like accessories that will give you buffs uh to specific uh, um, stats um, like this one might make it so that you have higher defense one might make it so that you deal more damage for fire attacks or ice attacks or wind attacks some of them might make it more likely to get, um, give enemies a status ailment when you're dealing doing an attack that can give a status ailment and uh, all the while, there's all these different sorts of rooms you can run into. There's like puzzle rooms where it's like more like not really a puzzle, but more like a 
light platforming challenge. And as you get further along in the game, the platforming challenges do get harder and harder. Um, every so often you will run into a boss room and you'll fight a uh, mini boss or a regular boss. And then like your first time going through these sections, like in the story mode, you'll always run into the same boss your first time. And then uh, after you've uh, cleared a boss at least once, there's a chance for a different boss to appear. So like the first time you fight the first boss it's just like this kind of like knight this like small knight with like a uh a uh an axe and then the next time you fight him it might be that same knight but it could also be this like queen type enemy that has more of uh, ranged attacks or ice attributed or it could be this uh um like assassin looking enemy that has dual blades that's uh wind aspected okay so it's like it, gotcha things change and like as you um like you said it's a rogue um light not rogue like so every time you clear well you die you do um get resources that you can use to upgrade your ship back at the base which so there, allows- there's like a persistent upgrade system that like yes. carries with you after death okay so it's not like yeah. just a fresh run every time Got and you it. can also like one thing is is that you can use these items to actually level up uh, attributes of your favorite like champions so that way if you get them it's like okay I, I like to use this champion a lot so i'm going to upgrade them or well upgrade my bond with them that way when i get them they will deal even more damage than normal or stuff like that and then there, there's just a lot of little things that um add up over time and it does feel like they've kind of struck that balance for no matter how well you do in a run you're going to be able to unlock something so it feels like you're always progressing. Is there um, like any? I don't know if you've gotten to this yet, but have there's have there been any um, variations to the stages? Do they change out the layouts of the stages? Or are there like any branching paths to like go to another stage? There are things are to a certain extent randomly generated, but there's not that much um, that that changes each time. Like there's slight uh, variations. It's kind of more like the way that returnal randomly generates stuff okay got it so it's yeah that that's a really good good way to explain it basically it's not properly randomly generated rooms it's more like they have templates and then they connect them together and whatnot okay are there any like um checkpoints or anything where you don't have to start from the beginning like whether or not there are kind of depends on how strong the progression systems are but i know some some way that some of these roguelikes kind of if you get far enough you can kind of get some sort of checkpoint that you can start at as a manner of progression as well as upgrading your character uh if there is i haven't run into it yet uh Mm -hmm. one thing that josh was asking about earlier and i'll kind of like just talk about is that there are branching paths in the sense that um the way it works is that the first stage in the world is going to always be the same thing. Once you get to the end of that stage, uh, first, only one gate will be open, but there will always be two gates that you can eventually choose from that go to slightly different stages with slightly different enemies, slightly different obstacles, and slightly different rewards. And uh, you can actually check the gates themselves, and they will tell you, okay, this one right now gives you access to more 
like champions. Like you can find more of them to upgrade your attack power, but this one will give you access to more gold or something like that. And then one of the upgrades you can eventually get at the uh, base is actually making it so that these areas have multiple different buffs to them. And then you can spend this resource that does carry over between playthroughs, I believe, to upgrade a gate. So it's like, okay, if neither of these are upgraded, I'd prefer the one on the left. But if I upgrade the one on the right, I would much prefer this one versus if I had upgraded the one on the left and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So there is a little bit of a wrinkle there to consider. It's like, okay, do I want to spend this resource now or do I want to save it for later when I'm further into a run um, or something like that? That's I kind of like neat. that it gives you uh, multiple avenues for progression. So it's not quite the checkpoint thing, but you're upgrading your character or upgrading your like traversal option. That's not quite the right word, but uh, have, having more say in what resources you're able to get per run by having like these multiple gate options uh, that you unveil as you go through uh, your different multiple times. And I assume that like your main character uh, themselves, like they level up as you uh play through the game they don't level up the only thing that improves is that the more of well pretty much anything you get because you get accessories you get champions you get these um crystals which i guess are kind of accessories too but they're considered separate um everything that you pick up in the game has a power rating and not only do you get access, like do individual like champions or accessories or whatnot have their own stats, the higher your power rating is or ranking is, the higher your overall stats are because okay. it gives a multiplier, as far as I can tell. Hmm. So it's like you start off with like around like a hundred or so like power, and then by the end of like the second like stage, you might be at like 1200 power and it's like it gives you a ranking like at the start you're like d ranking but maybe by the end of the second stage you're a c or a b rank almost like a destiny light level or whatever it was called kind of kind of okay. well, there's, there's a handful of games that have like some sort of battle power indicator based on what gear you have slotted or what or abilities yeah and I, one thing I do want to say is that uh, it's really neat how um, so far the bosses really kind of force you to make use of all of your movement abilities because you have access to a double jump and you have access to a dash that can also be used in midair. And then um, one of the upgrades you can get is a kind of dash attack that lets you dash in any, like, like in any, like, uh, direction in a 360-degree uh around you basically anywhere around you mm -hmm. uh which is cool for a number of ways because not only is it a dash attack um that just lets you move wherever but it will automatically refresh your cooldowns upon use so if you're fighting a ton of enemies you can kind of do a thing where it's like you exhaust your auto like your combo and then it takes like a second for it to recharge but if you want to keep a combo chain going, because one of the things that some rooms will do is that they will have an additional challenge every so often. It might be clear the room without being hit. It might be deal enough damage in a combo, or it might be get a certain hit ratio in a combo. Well, a hit like um combo, like let's say 
get a 25 hit combo before things drop. Okay. And obviously that's a lot easier if you have that dash because it resets your hit combo. So and it also counts as a hit. So it's one of those things where you're kind of like bumping into them to, yeah. uh, to get your combo. Mm. Yeah. So, so the return of bump combat, you're saying. I guess something like that. <laughs> this, sounds, this, um, sounds, this sounds like a game that we could easily cover on the site if we wanted to. I know, I know I'm not I, saying you had. It's a busy time of year. I'm just saying yeah. it, it kind of fits I'm thinking, the, the purview. Yeah. I'm thinking about writing up something when I'm done because uh, I, I don't think I have anything else on my docket for a bit. So. But it is. Um, it sounds it is, really interesting. The, the, the yeah. way you're describing it, like I already had my eye on the on the game. Now I'm just like, man, I really want to get to this. It's game. only fifteen bucks. I mean, it's. I know, but I also want to. I also want to complete Nirvana Initiative too. And if I get this game before completing that, then. Yeah, yeah. Nirvana Initiative is a good game. You know how it goes. Yeah. On one of the previous Anyways. podcasts, did you have a uh, you had Cullen on to talk about that, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah. So I also missed that, but yeah, it sounds like that uh, he really enjoyed that one. I I tried to juggle it with Xenoblade Three, but the other just you know it kind of you kind of really have to double down on it. So now, yeah. Now, 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 I'm, now I'm just barely getting my feet wet again. I was like, okay, I remember what happened in it, so it's not like I'm totally lost. I'm just like it's been it's been a while since I was I've been able to like play it again. So yeah I, I after i get nirvana initiative done maybe i'll get little nova or or and because i want to get to live alive and that releases a well as well and then digimon survive is right there as well and I'm just I'm, I'm going i'm going to adam's rpg list <laughs> on the site which you should check out and reminding reminding myself what's in august uh soul oh, hackers yeah. Yeah, soul hackers mm-hmm. uh, i remember that coming in august i don't remember what else is coming in august uh, a couple of those Nice America things, Lacusel and Rhapsody. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. It's yeah. right around the corner. Mm-hmm. A lot coming up. Yeah, no kidding. Well, thanks, uh, James, for giving us a little bit of insight on your time with Little Noah. Yep. And with that, we will move into the new section of the week because I think all the other games uh, we'll have to put on the back burner until we're allowed to talk further about them. So the new section of this week, most of this is uh, upcoming either release dates or dates to put on our calendar for upcoming news to be an announcement of announcement, all that sort of stuff. So this uh, this thing that I have listed first, I might need to ask James or Adam. This, this, this is kind of an interesting context. So we learned back in March through a Famitsu interview that Fuga Melodies of Steel 2 was going to be announced in July. So I don't know why that March announcement didn't count as the announcement, but we were expecting to get more news. And then we learned today, or in this last week, during Japan Expo in Paris, that Fuga Melodies of Steel 2 is formally announced. And we will see more information on July 28th during the first anniversary special broadcast from the first game that released last year. So as far as I can tell, we still don't have any other explicit details about this sequel is that the case or am i missing anything i saw something that said that uh, they did formally say that fuga 2 will be out next year Hmm. Uh, i think think they mentioned that in in like in the in japan expo but like not in the actual announcement so i don't know whether to like because you know it, it was hearsay from like people who went to that event in paris so uh, like they could have said it was the next year, and then very well might like reiterate it when they like 
share more information about it on the broadcast. But uh, it's just I, this I, I, this I, sort of this sort of cadence is just a bit interesting. They mentioned it in a magazine, then confirmed on Twitter, then they announced it saying, Here, "Yes, it is a thing." More details to come on this on this date. <laughs> so it's just kind of like yeah, we basically, very, basically got like a yeah, we basically got like a logo for the Melodies of Steel two and like a silhouette of like the tank. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. disparage it though because yeah. we talked last year that Fuga one uh, basically was a almost like an instant cult classic where anyone who played it thought pretty highly of it, but maybe didn't sell as well as they'd hoped. But it sounds like the plan to go forward with the trilogy is yeah. still in place. So it's good news all around. I mean, I don't want to yeah. say like, oh, this is weird that they. I, I, and this is like this time, time too for people to give it a shot because along with this announcement, uh, CyberConnect Two also released a demo of the first uh, Fuga, Fuga Melodies of Steel game on basically all platforms because it a save transfer pretty much all modern platforms and yeah, and it supports save transfer so people can play up to chapter three of the first game and then if they they're interested enough to give it you know see the the whole thing through, they can uh, transfer it to the full game and they get it. And I, I think mean, you know, I, I really three, that's a decent chunk of the a, game. Yeah. It's like yeah. A, yeah. So I, I they're really hoping that like this will give it the boost that it needs because it Fuga getting a sequel, I, when we talked about it back then, it's like that's very surprising because they were very honest and upfront saying that Fuga didn't really sell all that well. You know, but we still believe in it. And that's that's really fantastic that they like they still believe in the strength of the IP and still believe that like it it there is there's a pathway to success and hopefully it finds it also it, i find it v- pretty cool that i was the uh first person to say oh fuga runs on steam deck and it's now steam deck verified there you go hmm. the fuga champion but yeah i mean that's all that we can really say about it for right now because they'll, they'll share more about it at that upcoming broadcast in uh july 20th. two weeks yeah so yeah. yeah so we won't uh, it'll be two podcasts from now where we'll be able to see uh whether we have a release window, platforms, uh, new artwork, anything like that. I'm kind of so, interested to see, like, what kind of, like, before they say anything about it, like, what would you like to see in this sequel? I, I honestly don't know, because I feel like one of the things I really enjoyed about the first game was that it felt like that everything that was in there kind of had a reason to be there. It didn't really have anything that I'd say stood out as being super half-baked for the type of game it was, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think I think there should be situations where you really, really have to, like, think hard about using the Soul Cannon and, like, really consider it. I, I would like to see, like, a tougher decisions because there are definitely, like, some pairings in the first Vuga that, like, are, like, are kind of like the quote-unquote instant win pair. Like, they're, like it was kind of like... you you'd be crazy not to pair these two together because the the gameplay bonuses that you got out of them uh just really outshine whoever else they it's basically like a a balance pass yeah is something you'd like Uh, i think i think the problem is though is that i I understand what you're saying but i don't think the soul cannon is a way of going about it because spoiler alert kind of but i think anyone that was getting into this game kind of realized that was going to be the case in the first place but, but you, there's so the many, true, there's you so... can't get the true ending in the first game if you use the soul can. I can exactly. it's gonna be the same thing here. So it's that, like, that, that's why that's why they should they, they should like like I don't think they should like lock a true ending uh be behind like the soul cannon mechanic. I think that like you should really be like 
think hard which about really whether, whether, to use, whether to use it because because because, because, so because what you're really they basically, saying is, basically is, made they basically made like the soul cannon mechanic and like incentivized them to ne never use it and like that kind of that's kind of weird because now you're just like incentivized to do a pacifist run and like that's fine and all but like it it kind of disincentivized like they made a mechanic and it says don't use it it's like okay well i don't have to really use it then i don't know i never have to consider about uh, it unless i want to see like the bad editor, it, it does kind of feel uh, so i i have not played this so maybe i should keep my mouth shut but i'm not going to because i'm dumb uh but it seems like to me if you use the soul cannon it's like oh you messed up you you still have an out but you're not you know you're locked out of the, the best ending now you you know better to reload your save or something yeah yeah and, it's, and, it, and, and that, that feels mechanical and kind of like okay i guess sure. yeah and and honestly so forgive me if i'm reading into things but it sounds more like you want the next game to be more difficult i would like I, 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 I would like to see like uh more situations like uh, like i would ex expect like enhancements and like a direction where like you really have to think hard about like maybe i really have to use the soul cannon if they're still gonna like have it as a central plot point like there I, I don't think there should be a thing where like hey if you use the soul cannon there should be like a different like i don't know i just think it's weird that like you unlock a, to get the best ending you don't have to use the soul cannon and that makes sense thematically and i understand it but it's just like but you get you get a like a zero sum situation of like okay that i never have to think about not using the soul cannon ever because it's like i would never want to use it because i want to get the true ending and most people will just want to do a one and done playthrough of this it's like okay i got the best ending and i like, think i think you're kind of missing the point of soul cannon though it's it's not there to be used it's there as a threat of if you don't but that's a gameplay mechanic. That is a gameplay mechanic that, like, yes, you can use it. You cannot tell me that, like, it's not there to be used. It's like it very much is there as an option to be used. Yes, yes, in the sense that you can use it, but it's very clear that the game doesn't want you to use it. Yeah, it's obviously, like I said, it is very thematic of like why they would lock out the true ending for that. I just think that, like, if you're gonna if you're gonna have that, you should make situations that like should really make you think yeah. about. To use I, it, there, there was never a situation in Fuga where you're you like, "Oh my gosh, this is you probably know? oversimplifying." But I'm imagining a situation where you have to use the cell cannon at least once at this point right here, and then you have to make a choice on how to use it, and it might shift the ending. But you don't base a true ending on who you pick. You know what? It, you know what? Actually, I think you might be onto something. Yeah, I think, I think there I, I think might be something place. interesting where it's like you have to use the soul cannon at one point and and part of the problem is like figuring out okay who do you sacrifice and whether or not they have it so that you have to choose the right kid or whatnot at a specific time it's like i i don't know if you've seen the sort of teaser they had if you got all the gears um josh but it does seem like fuga 2 at least when they were thinking about it last year was always going to be a darker game i mean I, that, that yeah that's totally like fine you know that's totally okay I, I just think that like they have a really great concept on the first game it's like a like the first first game is like almost like a. I also think it's fair that if you're making a sequel and it's very clearly meant for people that have already played the first game i think it's perfectly reasonable to make the follow-up 
a harder game because it's like if you've played no. the first one, it just makes sense. That it would be like, well, we're going to ramp up the difficulty a bit. I, I, I guess like, yeah, well, that, that, and that feeds into like like my balance thing of like you can definitely just find like the quote unquote winning duos in Fuga and steamroll through it. And I think if it, like and that that kind of like I don't know takes something out of the game <laughs> for me of like. Yeah, sure you can you can avoid those, but like the 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 options, they gave you the option. You'd be foolish not to do it in in, in a way. Also, that's a, that's as a, as a very silly baseline question, kind of yes or no. Does yeah. the first game leave like an opening for a narrative sequel? Uh, I don't know how they're going to frame the sequel because yeah. at least with the true ending, um, it, it's very explicitly everything solved, happy ending. Hmm. So I think so I think the way that they're going to handle it with uh, Fuga 2 is it's going to be more of a what if scenario or something. Hmm, that'd be interesting yeah, to see, know. like, yeah, if it's a, just a standalone story or if it's a, yeah, more of a, a different like narrative outcome. Yeah, and I can totally see where they might branch it. Um, And, and I'm very like very interested to see what happens because like what I think Fuga's story is fine, but I think compared to something like Solo to Robo, the story isn't. It's very like, it's, it's like it, it's grim and it's a very grim premise, but it's a very, it's played very straightforwardly um, to a fault. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, it, it's funny because I remember when Fuga came out, the one thing I said was that uh, before Fuga, I'd say that, the main reason to play a CyberConnect 2 game is for the story. Like, you look at Dot Hack, and it's like, let's yeah, be real here. The main reason you're playing that is yeah. for the story. Uh, if mm-hmm. you look at uh, Solo to Robo, the gameplay's fine, but the story is definitely the, the story, the world building, the aesthetics, the music. That's all stuff that CyberConnect 2 has been great at. It's also why I should really try and check out their, their other, like, multimedia stuff i think they're working on an anime soon or something i don't know oh. but it's like i mean it makes sense for them because they obviously have that sort of chops i mean i know naruto fans that tell me that if you want to like get caught up on naruto that playing through the the ninja storm games is perfectly acceptable because the way the stories delivered in them is actually pretty damn good which is like wild but um yeah but uh fuga the story's fine and all of that but it's the first time where i'd say that for a cyber connect 2 game it's not what you come into it for because for the first time the gameplay is like far and away the best part of the game yeah yeah you're definitely getting it for like the kind of the atmosphere and the gameplay that that occupies that atmosphere and yeah. it, it's a very unique in its own way through that i like and i also hope that like they find a way to kind of vary it up like the progression because the like once you see the progression once or twice at fuga that's how it remains throughout the game it's like this is the gameplay loop and yeah I, I hope they find ways to kind of you know uh throw a wrench into there yeah i'm so, very like, interested to see uh what the uh sequel is going to look like because well first for one thing i mean this is the first time we're getting a sequel to a little tail bronx game in a timely manner and not over a decade after <laughs> the last one came out. <laughs> so it's going to be like everything's fresh in mind. And this is a development team that obviously like nailed it on their first go around with Fuga one. And it's like, 
I mean, the crazy thing is, is it the director for Fuga? I think it it was his first time directing a game. Huh. And it's like he did a great job. And it's like, man, I'm really curious to see what he manages to deliver, what the team as a whole manages to deliver with with uh, some experience under their belt. It's like it's just really cool. And it's like I, I can't wait to see what they have. Yeah, Orin Sequel has a lot of potential. They're definitely keeping a close eye on what they they share in the coming weeks. Plus, it just feels good to like keep an eye out for the underdog. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Fuga definitely uh, a big underdog. We did have another game announcement this week, and Josh is the one that put up this news post on our site, and that is Mato Anomalies. I hope I'm pronouncing this correct. This is a new title from publisher Prime Matter, working with developer Arrowiz, and it is described as an anime-inspired turn-based RPG with a high focus on like investigation and in- involves dual protagonists, Doe and Graham, where Doe is an investigator and Graham is an exorcist. So a very yeah. kind of interesting premise. The, we have a trailer for this and it kind of shows both how the, like the two characters, one of them is more about like gathering information, uh, progressing the story, investigating the area. And then the other one is your primary character in combat. It takes place in a city, uh, what, a, old Shanghai? Let's see. A yeah, neo-futuristic like a version of Old Shanghai. So it's like cyberpunk, but also like uh, supernatural. Yeah. It's a lot of interesting, like a, an interesting blend of a lot of cool ideas that I don't think has been. I can't quite say like, oh, this game looks like X other game to like really compare it to, to like paint the picture in your mind. So I, I look at the trailer here. I suggest people uh, go watch the trailer for Mato Anomalies because it's quite uh, distinct looking and it's scheduled to be released at some point next year. So just basically kind of putting it on the calendar for something to look forward to in 2023. I guess we're at the time of year where we're starting to kind of dot out what we can start looking forward to uh, for for the next calendar year ahead of uh, all the stuff that we're already trying to finish for this one. Yeah, and this is coming out to basically all platforms, PlayStation platforms, Xbox platforms, Switch and PC. Yeah, it, it, it's it's kind of a really, really cool premise that they they um, present here because like you said, like there's, uh, there's like two distinct play styles here with though like really focusing and doubling, doubling down on like your typical like detective investigation side of like you know you talk to NPCs around gathering intel and like the intel that you gather through though like opens up like like rifts as sort of like mini dungeons for Graham to like uh, pursue like the intel that they give you so you have a Graham who has like it's like a katana wielding exorcist and then like mm-hmm. along the way you're like you'll, you'll like find like party members that will join up with them. Like and like they kind of tease that like there'll be like some uneasy alliances like sometimes you know like the party members that you you recruit will not be like on the best terms with you maybe kind of like uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of deal and like the party members like that you like field out in battle like they haven't really gone into like the specifics of like how the battle system will play out we know that it's turn based but we don't know exactly what what your options are but. We, they did share that like all your party members will be sharing like a universal like health bar in battle. So no one like there's like no individual health bars um for your party members in battle. And they kind of show on the Steam page some of like the uh, upgrades and progression systems that they'll have as well. In and it. then so it's the, kind the of thing like, about this yeah. the thing about this announcement trailer that's kind of interesting is that it shows a lot of gameplay, but in a manner where you don't like it has no UI. So it's described as a turn-based game and you can see like cutscenes and animations that are clearly from like the battle system. 
but in a cinematic way, because maybe they don't have the UI quite squared away yet, or they just want to kind of get the flavor for what the game might play like. So it's, I don't know, I think it's kind of a good compromise between just like a CG introducing the concept trailer, but how does this game actually play? We can kind of glean it from the, from because what they're showing is ostensibly gameplay, uh, just in a presented in kind of an introductory format. And yeah, then the, the press release talks about how it not only are the, the two protagonists, but there's kind of like a duality of the world because you've got the um the old Shanghai, but then also like the demon riffs that you kind of investigate the anomalies from and things like that. So you can kind of see gl- uh, glimps- glimpses of all of those mechanics in the, the good introductory trailer is basically what I'm getting at. I wish more games kind of introduce their games like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely uh, keep it in the back of your mind, like you know, as we enter the new year and stuff. So yeah, that was a, that was a pretty cool announcement out of nowhere this week. Yep, slated for twenty twenty three. It's uh, we got a bunch of screenshots in the trailer up on the site, and does it have? Yeah, it already has a Steam page, like you mentioned. So can get a lot of the details there about the publisher and the developer. Uh, Arrow is the developer. Like I, I wasn't. I had heard of the the developer but i wasn't familiar with them i guess they've made like some vr games and some uh other like story-based like visual novel type games but this is the first one that they've made that you could that is an rpg in any fashion so it's always kind of interesting to see some uh developer enter that space we also got some new footage about the highly anticipated 2022 rpg star ocean the divine force so uh yes. i don't know if uh, yeah so I don't think we had any news in the last three weeks that you guys talked about for this game other than uh, maybe the release date. I'm trying to remember when um, at least it was announced, if that the, was before the, I stepped the, out or yeah, not. That was at the, yeah, that was like at the, the, end, the very end of June, like on June gotcha. 29. Yeah, so I don't know if you were here for that or not, but like that was like the, the last big, like, you know, a, a big, big news drop of like when we finally get to play this game this year. Yeah, they introduced some new tra- uh, characters and then you keep visual during that time and like they they're just oh yeah we, to... had, we had the uh, we had the english release date uh or so we had the release date trailer in both english and japanese in uh late june so yeah, not that they started ago. like actually, they started actually like giving us like like detailed like info on the gameplay of like hey this is how the battle system works this is kind of, and then they kind of teased on like the next info drop will they'll, they'll show more about like how you explore the world so that was kind of the the last time we heard about this game which is not very very recently then they uh, showed off they're starting to you know uh, gear up the marketing campaign for Star Wars and the Divine Force with like character trailers. So. Yeah, and that's the that's the news for this week. So we got the first two character trailers for the two protagonists, uh, Raymond Lawrence and Leticia Arisius. Arisius? Arisius? Arisius. Raymond yeah. Lawrence and Leticia Arisius. So uh, this is the main two characters of the game. And these trailers are pretty short. They're like 50 seconds each with the... Or I guess no... Um, Oh, that's interesting. Uh, the English Raymond Lawrence trailer is shorter than the Japanese one. Huh. I didn't. I, I thought I assumed it would well, be the same trailer. Are, is it? Uh, there might be just some different, like, like merch. Cheap. Oh yeah, the Japanese one just has more mm-hmm. like merch. Uh, like here's the collector's card, edition card, cards like, at the end. Yeah. So, anyways, these trailers are pretty short, and usually it's just the the character's voice actor or actress uh, speaking over their some cutscenes involving them uh so when i watch these i'm I'm just not gonna i'm gonna be speed blunt when i watch these uh, uh trailers it's it almost feels like a fan dub i don't know like the the i guess the voice acting is like the, the the quality of the audio of the voice acting in english is fine but it feels like it's almost like doesn't belong to the footage because there's 
uh, there's no lip sync and it's like the, even the lip flaps are like poorly implemented. And then on top of that, the animation of the character models themselves is kind of stiff. So it, was, it was almost distracting. Like I had to like watch this trailer once just to like get that out of my system. Like, okay, let me watch it again and actually pay attention to what they're saying. Cause they're short trailers. So it's fine. Uh, but Adam, I think you wrote a couple months ago, like a, um, a what you would like to see out of Star Wars and the Divine Force. And one of the things you put on there was uh, improve the quality of the model animations. Well, uh, how are you feeling after you saw these two character trailers? So far, not so good. <laughs> and and so I, don't, I don't, I don't want to be like, uh, you know, there's there's more important things to video games rather than, than than the quality of the model animations. But it's just like, oh, this looks like a Star Ocean game, so I guess I know what we're getting into. And then just the um, CMC got baby face. Yeah, he his two D art is a lot better than his three D model in general. It, that is uh, have, that, that is a story of all Star Ocean games. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah i mean i just hope this is like a fun game to play and like a fun goofy time uh honestly i mean that's that's all i can really hope for out of a star ocean game at this point because like let's all be honest and be like yeah like you know the the, the, the especially the facial animations and these character creators is like sort of stiff it's not like amazing but you know it's workable serviceable yeah and i i will say that um leticia's is a bit better leticia's just reminds me like a, of a maybe a late gen ps3 game i just I, it takes me it's taking me longer to to warm up to raymond like just something about his character design model voice altogether and i'm just not feeling leticia leticia is is it leticia yeah leticia yeah. is is uh I think a little bit more. I, I, I will. I always have to realized. double check my spelling of Le- Leticia's name because I will. Uh, I I feel like I will always like switch the the two vowels of A mm-hmm. and E at the very start of it when I when I write out her name. I'm like, okay, it's L A E, and then T I C I A, and then it's, uh, I every every single time I, I type it, I'm like, okay, I have to remember that it's, it's spelled like this. Yeah, that's uh, so I'm guessing we're going to get all the other trailers uh, in the coming months as the marketing ramps up for the October release for the the basically the cast that was introduced in uh, in late June with uh, Nina and Midas and were there a couple others? Uh, yeah, there's like two other characters that they that, they, were, they that, that were announced outside. earlier. Yeah, yeah. I remember the the girl that has like the yellow zip up, and then they had the other dude that's like a, a nerd. I don't remember his name. I need to I need to catch up on my gang. <laughs> All right. I need, I, I need to remind myself who these uh who these characters are. Because mm-hmm. uh, it felt it felt like this game was announced a while ago and then it, it went dark for a good while and now we're kinda like, oh yeah, let me remind myself of all the things they've revealed uh for Divine Force. But yeah, October twenty seventh is the release date. Uh we're gonna be going through the character trailers, I'm assuming, uh weekly or bi weekly up until then. Yeah, well, 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 uh, keep an eye out whether the the facial animations are going to be improved gradually as the more character trailers come out. <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll just be that Raymond is awful and the rest are fine. <laughs> no, I want to believe in Raymond. Okay, me too. Facial animation watch—that's what it is. And then uh, we—I've mentioned this in passing, but in addition to Live Alive, one of the other things that is coming out next week that we might be able to talk about if people make time for it uh, for the next podcast is the first DLC to Stranger Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. So uh, Trials of the Dragon King is coming out, I believe, on the 20th, so next uh, Wednesday. And Square Enix has revealed some of the classes that they're adding for this expansion, the Pilgrim, the Evoker, 
and the summoner alongside the addition of the stave weapon type. Uh, unfortunately, I've not played Stranger Paradise yet, so I can't really talk about like what these might feel like. I don't know if you got you guys who have played Stranger Paradise, if there's anything specific about the Trials of the Dragon King that you're most excited for, or if you're just if more of the same is kind of all you're hoping for. I'm excited. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that they're at, like I thought it was going to be just like one new job per like expansion or something or like a, uh, but that, to see that's like it's like a new weapon type with staves and that you know adding staves unlocks three new jobs with uh, Pilgrim Evoker and Summoner and like all the footage like you know it's a brief clip but like it's just more options more things to like mess around with more things to level up and see what the skill trees are for these new jobs um it's it's cool it's awesome it's 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 a fun game to play and just get your hands on um so i I, i'm stoked that like the i didn't know that they were gonna add like three new jobs to this out of nowhere and they also just recently announced like in an upcoming update for stranger of paradise that like hey for some reason if you don't want to play jack you can go play all his other uh plays other party members as well like in single player not just be confined to jack now, um, do you have control over like their gear to the same extent that you do, Jack? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like I assume so because um, I don't exactly know how they're gonna do it, like through single player. But like when you join a multiplayer session, you take control as one of his friends um, and with like your just current gear setup. Now, for single player, it gets kind of weird because like when you're configuring them, um, they're like confined to like certain classes only. And certain jobs and so like that that's kind of where it gets weird so i don't know exactly how they're just gonna and they're just gonna let you like like blow like the the restrictions like they don't they don't have restrictions anymore and you're just like kind of they let you be any job any class with the when you take control of them i don't know exactly how they're gonna implement that because it's different implementations of like depending on like how you configure them for single player versus like kind of like possessing them with your own gear and abilities and jobs in like a multiplayer session um, so they have so, detailed yeah. like just the numbers behind the expansion some people might get a kick out of this like four new main yeah. missions nine new side missions uh i when i'm thinking like what does that mean uh is if i compare this to like adam i know you played both games if i compare this to like neo missions is that sort of the same scope that i'm looking at yeah yeah can they say two new boss battles which is about what the neo dlcs uh added as well so it seems like a kind of very typical kind of size for the for the package here. Have they announced the number of DLCs? Was it three or is that three. just what people are guessing? Three. They well, they've announced three. three. Yeah, they detailed it by, like right before the release. It's like it was, it was three. It was like Trials of the Dragon King. Then after this, it'll be um, Wanderer of the Rift and then Different Future, I think I want to say. Yeah. yeah. So I... I I hope that they uh, the, uh, just continue adding more jobs and uh, classes like in each expansion. That'd be great because they're just like some some um, really deep cuts like Evoker here. Like someone mentioned in the in, the, in our Twitter comments, like I don't know if they introduced Evoker ever since like FF three in a Final oh, Fantasy. I, I I didn't realize that was an existing class. Yeah, and then like Pilgrim, I don't I don't recall off the top of my head when was the last time you saw Pilgrim. In a Final Fantasy game. Here, I'll type Final Fantasy Pilgrim. What do I get? Nothing. Oh, wait. Uh, there, yeah. I guess there's a Final Fantasy 14 term for Pilgrim. I don't know what this yeah, is. Oh, oh, never mind. That's just a free that's just a free company name. All right. Final okay. Fantasy Pilgrim doesn't doesn't give me much of anything. So maybe that's a Stranger of Paradise original. There you go. 
And so now my, my final question is, is, is anyone going to play this when it comes out? Or is, is it more at a point where too much is coming out, you'll wait for the rest of the DLC and maybe play it all at I, once? I, I'll, I'll probably play it. I'll probably yeah, play I, it. I want to play it when it comes out, but also I want to play Live Alive. That's so, true. Uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so it's... We'll see. I mean, I have I have a end game save of of uh, Stranger Paradise that I just haven't booted up. Like I've I've I have unlocked the chaos difficulty. I've played a little bit of the chaos difficulty, but well, now you get the Bahamut I, difficulty. Yeah, I know. There's the new Bahamut. I really hope that the new Bahamut difficulty doesn't have like the, the the weird leveling up uh, mechanic that the chaos difficulty has. Where like when you unlock chaos difficulty in Stranger Paradise, it like. Every single stage has like a new chaos difficulty, but like if you want like better like rewards out of them, you have to like level up the stages. And I think that's kind of a similar way that Neo did it. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head how Neo did it, but there's there's like a, a a certain point where you have to like level up end game stages to like get better loot and rewards out of them. Ne- like Neo was one, like, Neo was more just like a world state, so it wasn't mission by mission. Okay, yeah, this one is mission by mission, and, like, you have to level them up using, like, these anima shards that, like, you have to, like, grind to get them, and, like, some of, like, and to get, like, the, as you level them up, like, the more anima shards you'll need to, like, feed into the stages, so it's, like, it it did provide, like, a repetitive gameplay loop that, like, you're kind of getting, like, something out of them, but it was, like, it was very repetitive and dull to just kind of grind them up so hopefully bahamut difficulty kind of gets rid of that and like just has like a baseline hey these are super tough and you got to be geared out to tackle them but hopefully there's like a good incentive to tackle them and like the difficulty like of them is like is worth it the next piece of news is for the upcoming game sd gundam g generation eternal this was announced back in may as a i need to hand this off to josh is the series of games called g generation is that the, like the, the, that's the series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a series named G Generations. Yeah, like G Generation Wars, G Generation Overworld, like on the PSP. So the upcoming so like, game is G Generation Eternal. It is a mobile game that doesn't have a release date, but has an announced closed beta. Uh, as they kind of reveal more information about this game, they've kicked off a new series of blogs called Eternal Transmission, and Volume One released in the last week, which revealed uh, a key visual for the game and just some more information. So, Josh, is there anything from this first uh, kind of news news blip from G Generation yeah, Eternal right. that you think is worth highlighting yeah. here? Yeah, there's there's like a lot of interesting stuff. Obviously, a lot of people's worries is because this is a mobile game. There will definitely be a gotcha system, and like, yes, they 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 did announce that this like, um, the like blog uh, development blog of like how the gotcha system will work in this game because it, it it's a it's a really interesting um problem to tackle because of how g-generation works and in the g-generation series typically it's sort of like pokemon style where you get like a zaku for example and like you you kind of you salvage a zaku so you it like enjoyed your ranks to inter- like, to interrupt you, know, you just briefly sorry is this the first yeah. g-generation game that is a mobile game yes yeah. okay just want to make sure on that okay yeah yeah so like when you get like a capture a zaku uh for example in one of the g-generation games you level it up, and like as you level it up, you can kind of sort of like branch out its evolution Pokemon style. Where like at level three, you can turn it into like a high mobility Zaku, and maybe at level five, maybe you can, maybe you can uh, turn it into like a Zigok, or like at level seven, you can turn it, turn it into like um, a like Stars Zaku, and at level ten, maybe you can like level it up to like some crazy unit because you 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 took the time to level it up 
all the way to max level. And now you can you can either like you know you have like these four branching options, and like when, depending on what evolution you take with that, let's say you take turn into a, a Sharzaku, then like that process repeats itself, where like it has higher base stats and like a new move arsenal as the Sharzaku, but like at different like level points, you can further develop it into like new units. So that was like kind of like the interesting and fun part about the G generation games because it's kind of like a like a a whole like sort of Pokemon gameplay loop of like you're leveling it and it has different evolutions and how would that play out in a in a in a mobile game that has a gacha system? So um, the developers of G Generation Eternal have said that um, you could that there's still that uh, option in the game that's still that gameplay loop where you can uh, obtain units and level them up into other ones, but the gacha system in the game uh, they've detailed will allow you to get the following you'll get early access to units say so that implies that like hey let's say they introduce like the um the unicorn gundam uh like maybe like a future event or a future content update um maybe there'll be a unicorn gundam banner and like hey you can you can roll for that unicorn gundam and when you roll for it you'll get early access to that unicorn gundam or you can wait till a later time and they'll like you can upgrade a unit to the, to become the unicorn Gundam instead, and when you gotcha for this unicorn Gundam, they'll be already upgraded to high grade. But the uh, so like if you were to roll for it instead, it'll be more powerful when you obtain it. But if you wait for it and like upgrade to the unicorn Gundam organically through the game itself, you can just like you can build it up and then turn it into a high grade through like normal progression instead. So you're just basically getting like a like. You you can just like obtain it in a more powerful state when you gotcha for it, or you can wait till like it comes to the game and you upgrade to it, and then when you, once you continually upgrade the the unicorn Gundam that you obtain through the in game, you can basically use like in game mats to get it to high grade. So like you're taking more time, but you didn't have to gotcha for it. And then the only thing that you're getting exclusively through like the gotcha version of a unit is like a ch- the this is how they uh, phrase they a chance to get units with the eternal arms depending on the unit and the eternal arms are basically special unique battle animations uh for like a certain attack um which is weird so like if you're willing to take the time and effort to like get the unit normally the only thing you're really missing out with the gacha version is like a unique battle animation because they actually spelled out in the in the developer blog itself like the upgrade system like like your when you fully upgrade let's say the unicorn gundam like max level max rarity max whatever it'll have identical stats to like a unicorn gundam that you got through the gacha if you to max level that out the only difference i i, I you know Based on their uh, the way they word it, the only difference between like uh, a unicorn Gundam that you obtain normally in game and a U- unicorn Gundam that you obtain to the Gacha, ideally, is that the Gacha version just has this eternal arms. This is like a unique battle which is animation. just which is entirely cosmetic. Yeah, that's kind of interesting so, because it's kind of uh, like when a, when a game doesn't have a Gacha system but it might ha- might have microtransactions. The, the main thing is is well, those microtransactions better be 
either only for convenience or cosmetic. And then this is kind of like both those things implemented into a gotcha gotcha sort of system where uh, outside of that system, you're giving up the cosmetic of the animation on this attack, and you might just take more time to get your unit in the same place uh, mechanically. But that's just convenience and cosmetic. Yeah. So it's like, kind of an it, interesting it feels uh, like approach yeah. to that. Yeah, the development team is keenly aware of like writing this fine line, and I think it, I, this is like the really cool thing that I've liked out of these like Gundam games in general is like these development blogs because it it kind of gets you uh, like a sneak peek behind like the mindset behind like the creators of the game. Like they've been doing um, development blogs for Gundam Evolution, which is like the Gundam Overwatch clone that they've been doing, and like they've they've gotten really in depth of like where they're at. Uh, during development and what the, what sort of features they're thinking about and testing and tinkering with, um, so I, I hope to see more development blogs come out for this game, uh, sort of like how they've done with Gundam Evolution, because I think it, this is a really really valuable thing that they're addressing uh, from the forefront and like they they know that like what the gameplay is in G Generation, what fans like, uh, so they're really trying to be careful of like not alienating that audience because like they they know that like. They've already alienated a good chunk of their audience by saying, "Hey, this is a mobile game, and this will also have a gotcha game." It's like, well, how how is that going to work with like how we generation systems? And uh, you know, they also said that because this game will have a lot of units and a lot of battle anim animations, um, they know that it will bloat the file size. So there's actually like a they've called it like a half mode and like a full mode to these battle animations, where like the half mode. Or will be like a lighter, more quicker battle animation to like reduce file size, and they'll offer that um, as well. But they haven't really they ha they know that like K the closed beta is still gonna come. They haven't really dated that yet. So I'm really interested, like you know how this will all shake out. I really, really want to give this game a go and like see like hey, can I can a person play this game and not touch the gotcha system at all and be successful? Because the way that they're saying it is like like you know they um it, it seems like that like yes like you can go into this game and like give it enough time and effort like you can get through this without ever having to touch the gotcha system it kind of um, depends on the extent of the inconvenience yeah, yeah exactly on, on whether or not like whether or not it's actually true like yes you can enjoy this game without it or if it's only technically true like, yes. yes, but it takes five times as long or whatever. Yeah, pretty much. And like they also said that it will have a stamina system, but they've they've made it so like the stamina isn't required to get through like the, like the main main scenario stages, and stamina is going to be like for maybe like special event stages, which is sort of like how this idea Opera Omnia does it for the Final Fantasy, and people seem to really like the way it handles it there. Uh, to so me, like, to me, this this still feels like too many footnotes, like uh -huh, yeah, uh, a, sure. a little bit like like each one you can kind of argue around. But when you pile it up, I still see it as like, no, thanks. Where it's like, yeah, yeah. you don't. Uh, they, yeah, they're, they're equally as strong, but they um, uh, it takes longer to get them there. Oh, and their animations aren't uh, what you the same ones. And uh, there is also stamina, but it's not for the main quest. It just seems like caveat, caveat, caveat. Where it's like, it, it, it's it, like it they're trying to have their cake and shit. eat it, too. Or it's like, yeah, we want we want to benefit from having a gotcha system and having people who are invested and get into that. But also we want to make sure that we have enough like language that says no 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 it's fine you can play for free i'm just at that point i'm just kind of like yeah everything you're saying is good it is, it is kind of crazy too because their, their ambition with this game is like crazy too because they 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 said that they, they're aiming to have over 700 units available on release for this game mm. it's like oh like 
how like what kind of file size are we talking about here? If it's there's yeah, gonna be when you said over seven hundred units, there'll be battle animations. Like when you said the animations were cut then. short specifically in the service of reducing file size. I thought that was interesting because like for me, it'd just be like, well, some people just might want to have the shorter animations because they've seen them enough times or whatever. But yeah, no, exactly. specifically, we were having this option for file size because you know people's phones, some of them only have eight gigs still potentially or sixteen gigs. Yeah, so. Yeah, it's a really, really, I'm really interested to see how this shakes out because a lot of it is like, I am in this like weird space of like, I know how the G generation games work inside and out. I know how they play and like, but what are the defining systems that like make this series up? And I also am very keenly aware of like how gotcha mobile game bullshit works because I played a good chunk of them. So I'm I'm interested to see like how they try to marry them together in a maybe harmonious manner. And so... Uh, this is one of those things like I know both of these two spheres very well and to see how they come together who knows and I you are uniquely qualified yeah Mm -hmm. I am very intensely curious of like how this (laughs) how this will shape up yeah that was yeah so there's hmm. no dates on the closed beta or the release so at this point it's just kind of have they dated like the next transmission even or is it just kind of uh, um, these these come out of nowhere these kind of like these guys just pop up it's like okay this is the next thing all right so we'll let you know whenever the next thing pops up i do i do hope that like they could they continue to do this like line of communication like i thought it was really really cool with like the gundam evolution when they had like uh the the console closed beta for that game like they really went deep on like hey these are the aim assist options and they like provided like clips on like hey if you toggle this aim assist option like to this slider like how well it'll like implement it and they they had like side by side comparison of like hey if you put the slider all the way to this way this is how the aim assist works and if you put it all the way this way this is how the aim assist influences it side by side it's like wow that's really that's that's really cool that like you you went out of your way to like actually show people a side by side comparison of like how this specific setting uh, influences that. And like, I hope they do a similar sort of thing here where like, if there's like an option or like a sort of feature that like you should show it side by side uh, and, and show people that level of transparency as well. No, I wish, I wish more games did that with like their graphic options or toggle options or things like that. Yeah. The last three bits of news are just release dates or port dates. Uh, we'll just run through these. Um, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance 2, the uh, it's not a remaster, just the port to modern consoles and PC, will be releasing on July 20th. I don't know if anyone has expressed interest in covering this, but it's kind of always cool to have these games carried forward on modern consoles just for uh, for legacy's sake. Hitting right on the exact same date as the Stranger of Paradise DLC. <laughs> Uh-oh. I forget. Did uh did Scott cover Dark Alliance one port or did we not? Did we not cover that? This is a port. It. Yeah, because I mean, I I don't want to say like oh it's just a port. It's always cool to have these games on PC so that you know modders or whoever can kind of keep them in you know a playable state, and make them available, and not just locked away on their initial consoles. So yeah, Baldur's yeah. Gate Dark Alliance two on July twentieth for modern consoles and PC. Also coming to console on September 29th is Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. It will be PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Switch. The Switch version will be a cloud version of the game. And in addition to this, the third DLC for Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous will be on August 11th for the PC version. Uh, Similar to as in Kingmaker, the third uh, DLC is kind of a standalone game mode that is described as roguelike, but will also have a portion of the main game assigned to it as well 
yeah, I want to pick your brain about this because, like, I don't know much about the Pathfinder games, but yeah, you do. So, like, is there anything that really stands out to you, like, in terms of um, this upcoming third DLC? And also, like, the upcoming console releases, uh, when they hit, it'll also be, like, when the enhanced edition of Wrath of the Righteous will be coming out. And from what I understand, like, King My- Kingmaker's uh, enhanced edition, like, really overhauled a good chunk of that game. Well, the um, thing of the thing about Kingmaker you know. is that I feel like it had more room for overhaul because they post added like the turn based mode and the console controls and all that where that's already all in place for Wrath of the Righteous. So I don't know that the Wrath of the Righteous Enhanced Edition has as enough as much like headroom because it's already been like tested in with Kingmaker. As for the <clears throat> DLCs themselves. Uh, I did replay through Kingmaker once all the DLCs came out. Uh, one of one of them was like a very typical RPG DLC where it's like in a in a 100 hour RPG it was like a three or four hour chapter, which was fine and good, but just a very small component of the game. Just kind of like pay pay an extra ten bucks to get a little extra content. Uh, one of the Kingmaker DLCs was like a prequel where you would play that and then you would like save the state of how you ended it and then it would affect your main game. And oh, then okay. the, the uh, and then the third part of the Kingmaker DLC was very similar to what's being described here for Wrath of the Righteous, where it was like a standalone game mode that also played a role in the main game. Uh, that was I don't remember if it was exactly roguelike or if it was procedural, but it was similar in nature. Where we're supposed to be kind of like, if you don't want to play through the story, you can play through this mode that's more just uh, divorced from the narrative, and you can just kind of have fun with your builds or things like that. Um, I think I enjoyed Wrath of the Righteous just slightly less than Kingmaker. I forget what I scored the two games, to be honest. Uh, I know I know I scored them both not as high as I wanted or as I initially would have liked because they all had they had some clear um, things that I just didn't enjoy for Wrath of the Righteous. It's basically the crusade mode. I didn't feel I didn't gel with at all. It's part of those things where it's like, yeah, I do kind of want to play the DLCs to experience them, but the game is also 100 hours long. So that sort of thing. So it's like, yeah, do I? Yeah. And it's the sort of thing where I haven't played it since last year. So I could pick up my old file and be like, all right, well, what was my build again? Where was I at? How do I access this? You can just make a new party from the ground Uh, up. That's true. Uh, it's uh, always cool to have these games on console. I know some people really like, I I greatly prefer the, um, the real time with pause rather than the turn based. There's actually, I, I remember talking about this before already on the podcast, but I'll say it again because it still sticks in my craw. There's like one section of Wrath of the Righteous as part of a gimmick that you have to play in the turn based mode because you're supposed to be like, you're in the realm of like some master tactician. So it's like, ha, you're stuck on turn based mode now. And it was such a pain and slog. I'm like, God, this is terrible. People play through the whole game like this. <laughs> uh, it was awful. Uh, Anyway, that's just my opinion. If you'll enjoy turn-based mode on these games, that's fine. Uh, so I probably won't play through the DLC of Wrath of the Righteous unless someone really tells me that it's quite damn good. I, I am think, interested. Um, like, do you think it would be a pain to play this game like through a cloud version? Like, do, do you really need like? Um, do you do you think that would like fuck people up? Like saying, oh, like the the instability it, or like all the all the um. I guess my answer my answer would be is in, in turn based mode you're probably fine, but I just gave you my opinion on turn based mode. Yeah, yeah. But the, I the, feel like pause I feel cloud. like if you want if your plan for Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous was to play through it in turn based mode on Switch through the cloud, 
I hope you have like 200 hours handy. And also, I'm just wondering, like, just that smaller screen, if that would be a pain, uh, because like it's an isometric game and there's lots of you're, you're, you have party of, I think, is it five or six? It's either five or six characters. I just feel like that would be like you would almost be like draining on your eyes after a while. Um, I guess I'm thinking about in portable mode. Of course, you could put it on the yeah. TV, I suppose. Yeah. I always think of playing the Switch in portable mode. But yeah, I, I guess play it on big screen and that last part doesn't... I would assume that like if people who pick this up on Switch are, are are targeting to play this on portable mode because if like unless unless that's like their primary console, they have other avenues to play this on like uh, mm-hmm. a bigger screen than, you know. So that's, uh, that, that's what I assume as well. It's like, hey, if you're going to pick this on Switch, you're probably either going to play this Unimportable, and you don't have you don't plan to get a Steam Deck. Mm. I, I, I guess I'll just say playing this on portable on Switch through a cloud through turn face mode doesn't sound like my cup of tea. I'll put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> and the last uh, release date announcement is that Yomawari Lost in the Dark will be releasing on October 25th in North America, October 28th in Europe. It uh, we talked about it, I think, in like May or uh, April or May. That's when it released in Japan. We will get it here in the States uh, this fall. Yeah, just more putting sense. something to it. Yeah, they want to release in time for Halloween, and good on them for not releasing it on Halloween, because uh, it's a little bit of a pet peeve, but whenever a horror game releases on Halloween, it's like, well, most people aren't going to play it on Halloween. By the time it's you're playing it, it's November yeah. 1st, 2nd, 3rd. Yeah. And, it's, and it's just like, playing it a few days before Halloween, you still get the vibes. You still get yeah. the vibes, but as soon as it's November, it's like, no, I don't care about candy anymore, I want turkey. That's true. It's, like it's, it, it's, like it's, a, it's like that old meme or it's like October 31st versus November 1st. It's like, I'm in Christmas mode, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, I, exactly. I don't want kids to disturb their gameplay time, okay? <laughs> I, I think I think horror game devs are, and publishers have like got, gotten better at like releasing in October, but not on Halloween. It's like it's always kind of they, fun they, like they, when a horror movie like releases in January. And it's like, wait, what? Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> You have clearly, clearly fucked up then, and you, you didn't plan this out well. Well, Final Fantasy fourteen had that. You get the Halloween costumes in, was it February or something like that, because of all the delays. Hmm, that's kind of interesting. They're like, oh, well, we don't want to wait for a year, so here, have them now. Uh, you played the other Yomori games, right, Chow? Or am I thinking of someone else? Yeah, I only played the first one. I haven't oh, played okay. the second one. Uh, I recommend playing the intro. You'll, you'll leave you kind of traumatized. Yeah, oh, this I, is, I, I don't know. Spook. Too spook. You said you recommend playing games. the intro. I thought, like, as opposed to what? Oh, as opposed to not playing it. No, I, I recommend playing it. You can no. watch the intro, but as a... Oh, oh Chow just watching it on YouTube on you. again. No, I actually beat this game. <laughs> I have it on the Vita, okay? I don't, not, now, now I need the receipts, Chow. Can, can you prove to me that you've beaten this instead of just watching someone? Uh, <laughs> I have the Platinum Trophy. Okay, well, you can... Someone could have gotten it for you. No, I believe I believe you, Joe. <laughs> but no, it's, right. a, it's a pretty short game. It, I, I recommend giving it a try. It's uh, it's very charming, but it does have a very traumatic uh, introduction at the beginning. So, do you, do you plan to play the second Yomori game anytime soon? Uh, not really. Okay. <laughs> well, enough. Fair enough. And that covers it. Uh, covers us for this episode of the TetraCast. So uh, it's good to be back. Um, we ended up having two hours of stuff to talk about. Surprise, surprise. Uh, lots to talk about coming up. We've already gone through the whole list. So I won't go it again, but uh, exciting times ahead for fans of several different franchises and games. 
I was going to say, I forgot the. Sorry to cut you off, Brian, but no, have no we problem. gone over the the Sega Mini, the Sega Genesis Mini 2 coming to North America? Oh, yeah, that is coming to North America. They did give that a date. We only, we only previously discussed that at, like during its announcement and like the initial wave of games, but we didn't know if it was coming to America. That was dated um, day and date uh, with its launch in Japan on October 27th. Um, it's going to be exclusively sold via Amazon for. I guess a hundred and three dollars and like around like right now it's saying a hundred and two dollars thirty eight cents when I accessed it, but man. pretty steep. But you know what? I might get it. It has Lunar. <laughs> yeah, they, they they announced another wave of games for it. So they uh, they announced that uh, for cartridge titles they have Ahari Manada. I don't know what the fuck that is, Chow. I'm sorry. Um, Alien Soldier, Fatal Fury Two, the damn good ass game. Um, a Mahjong Dojo title. It's a very long title. It's like Yuan Bura Jiko Chushin Ha Katayama Masayuki no Mahjong Dojo. Uh, wow, that's helpful. Yeah, Spatter Super Street Fighter Two, uh, Two, the new challengers, of course, classic Tatsujin, and then for Sega Mega CD titles, we have Final Fight CD, the Wonder Mega Collection, and then relevant to us especially. Is the Lunar Eternal Blue and Lunar the Silver Star? Um, I don't know if they've I, confirmed those ones are in the West yet, though. They have to navigate the working designs issue. Yeah, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they've confirmed that for the West. Have Have you heard anything, Chow, on that? No, but if it's not there, then I'm not getting the American version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are, uh, yeah those are the, big on ones. the Amazon page for it doesn't have any details. Yeah, at all. So. But it, it, hey, you know what? Are, are you excited, Chow? Nonetheless, if you're not gonna, if, like, you're still gonna get uh, get the ones with Lunar, no matter what, huh? Yeah, I, I love Lunar. I mean, I could yeah. even talk about Lunar, but uh, I'm not sure if anybody here has played the Lunar. I, I played the Silver Star Collection on PS One. I think that that's what they were called. Okay. Uh, but that was a long time ago. I never, I never played like the original like uh, releases in Japan. Well, okay, uh, I'm just gonna. Was it? It's kind of weird that we're having a gameplay session at the end of this talk. Yeah, if you want to talk about it briefly, because like this, I don't think we're going to mention it ever again. <laughs> okay, but anyways, uh, yeah, played the remake of the of Lunar Silver Star story. I, I play. Like, I I don't know. I don't know anything about Lunar aside from like the PS One collection that like wasn't released, there like, like a terrible GBA game or something. Uh, I wouldn't call it terrible. It's just the PS One game being downsized to a GBA, really. Okay. Uh but. Yes, it is. The Sega CD version is a completely a different beast because when they remade Lunar Silver Star for the PlayStation One, they completely rewrote the story. Uh, the villains have different motives. Uh, the main character's powers are totally different because in the remake, he's a specialized sword user, right? But in the original game, he's actually a magic user, and he's a very OP magic user in the original game. Like everything is changed. Um, there's a character named Nash that joins your party, and everybody hates him in the remake because he's always a little... Uh, I hate to say it, but everyone likes to call him a little bitch because he, he doesn't do anything. Uh, in the original Sega CD version, there's a part where he betrays you, and he does it for a very good cause in the Sega CD version, but that is completely scrapped out in the in the PlayStation remake. But yeah, there's totally... I like how Chow is just like a font things. of knowledge when it comes to like version so differences good. of these like sp- even down to like story beats just insane child uh, you're admirable i, I love i love retro games so maybe that's that's why okay so uh, yeah, it, love- it is it is on you back in october to grab this uh sega genesis or mini 
Yeah, Sega Genesis uh, Mini 2 and report. Oh my god. <laughs> putting me, you're putting me on the on trial. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. you're, you're the one who said, like, hey, don't forget this. We're like, all right, well, it's, uh, the onus is on you. Okay, so that's basically on Lunar, right? On the first game, because totally different, totally two different games. If you play the PS1 version, you could also check out the Sega CD version. You'll get a completely different experience. Okay, that, that, that that's kind of, like I guess, my main question, yeah, was... Well, is it significant enough to? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but the second game is there's not much different between the original and the remake story wise, but uh, the was it the Sega CD version in working design they kind of change the game not for the better and a lot of people are upset about it so they like to patch this out because uh, in working design's point of view they found that. This game allows you to save anywhere for RPG, and they found that that was too easy. So when they changed in the Sega CD version for the American release was that if you want to save, it costs you magic experience points to save. So if you want to level up, it's like you get gypped trying to save in the American version. And all of that. So not only are there thing. not only are there console differences, but there's region differences. Yes, uh, working design keep making unnecessary changes. Sometimes they make the game way harder for no reason. You know, sometimes uh, some of the gameplays completely got messed up, like Silhouette Mirage. This is another game they localize, and they completely fucked up the difficulty. And people will say, do not recommend the working design version. Um, but for Lunar, it's just that you can't save without like the magic experiencings. And there, there are some weird jokes that people don't take too kindly in, in these old games in a retro perspective view. Like, there's one NPC you talk to, and that person says, you can call me Bill. My name is Bill Clinton. And, you know, hearing that in Lunar, you'll be like, what the hell is this shit? Yeah, that's, right? yeah, that's, that's really not good. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. But, yeah, there's lots of these kind of things. So that's for Lunar. Uh, Lunar 2 is actually a lot better than the first game. Uh, it has a much deeper story. Uh, Gameplay is also a lot more expanded upon. But if you're just kind of playing it, uh, I would kind of try the PlayStation version if you want, like, better cinematics, I guess. But I would still suggest the Sega CD version as a superior game. So... Yeah, and yeah. so is uh, the Sega CD version the version that's on this mini console then? Yes, in Japan at least. Uh, it, yeah, I guess we, we don't, don't know for sure. We, we don't know mm. if they could give those working design rights or they just put it and just didn't give a shit about them because they don't exist anymore, right? Nope. Oh yeah, uh, that's all I got. I got to say for Lunar. So yeah. So look ahead to that for the Sega Genesis Mini Two, if it ends up being. On the English version of the new console. Otherwise, we'll just have Chow report from the Japanese version. And unless anyone has any other addendums, uh, I think that kind of covers us. I think I think I think we're good. I think we're good. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the TetraCast. Thanks for welcoming me back, uh, Josh, James, Adam, and Chow. We didn't have any new articles up on the site, but we have all the uh, the Fire Emblem Warriors guides, the Monster Hunter Sunbreak guides, the previews for Xenoblade Chronicles 3 and Live Alive are all up on the site, uh, including all the news that we talked about on the podcast this week. You can join our Discord at discord.gg slash RPG site. You can follow us on the social media channels on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. 
And we will be back next week where I presume that a significant portion of the runtime will be talking all things Live Alive and whatever else comes out between now and then. Maybe Stranger of Paradise if we have people have some time to get to the, the DLC on that as well. Until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care. And we'll talk to you then.